Hey everybody, this is Kyle Means, Editorial Director of We Are Regal Radio, War Media, and uh, also host of Running With War Podcast. And uh, yeah, back at it with a special edition of the show, not unlike our typical sessions that we do with me and my guys just talk about no NBA and the WNBA and everything. This one, uh, you know, putting together a uh, you know a set of interviews that I did, quick interviews with writers and experts, uh, followers of teams who have been eliminated from the postseason, the NBA bubble. And uh, in this first set, we got f- excerpts from four interviews that I've done uh, in recent weeks uh, with uh, uh, writers and uh, broadcasters uh, from, oh, actually, three I've done and one that uh, our guy Josh Hicks did uh, as part of uh, his one of his recent In the Scope podcasts as well. Uh, Josh interviewed Ro Brown, a uh, great uh, broadcaster down in New Orleans, talked to him about the uh, state of the Pelicans and everything coming out of uh, their failed attempt to get into the playoffs. All these teams didn't reach the playoffs. We should say they played in the uh, leading the lead up games to the playoffs, but didn't make even the first round. Just barely missed it. And uh, you no know, coming up, we'll try to have some interviews from uh, teams who actually made the playoffs and uh, and uh, have been since eliminated as well. So we'll keep you up to, updated on that. As, as that process goes along. But for right now, we just got four teams that uh, came close but didn't smoke them stogies when it came to the playoffs. Uh, like I said, New Orleans, Ro Brown speaking on the Pelicans. Uh, Phoenix uh, got my man from the Arizona Republic. He covers the Suns for that new fine newspaper. And uh, also, we have another newspaper writer in Evan Barnes, who helps cover the uh, Memphis Grizzlies, very interesting young team who, uh, you know, with John Morant got a lot of pub while they were playing down in the bubble. Uh, you know, Evan Barnes is going to be talking to me, he writes for the Memphis Commercial Appeal. And our last guest is gonna is from DC, a great uh, young podcaster, and um, you know broadcaster in general. Her name is Mikhail Ramos, host of the show Rolling with Ramos, and uh, we had a good talk about DC, and um, you know all these interviews. Also, I'm gonna release. Uh, in full, you're just like I say, you're just getting parts of them here, but uh, I'm gonna release these interviews in full as well because we have other subjects that we kind of go into with, uh, with each of them as well. Actually, uh, the Roe Brown one, of course, you can hear you actually can hear that in full already within the scope, uh, but uh, the other three I'll release as least whole as well, uh, along with this package that we put together here. So, uh, you know, again, uh, we call this like the uh, the eliminated running with war, the eliminated series. And, uh, you know, just enjoy these interviews. You want to learn more about these teams, 
a good spot, a good place to learn about these teams. If uh, you know you missed them while they played in the bubble, if you just want to know a little more about them, you know I think uh, especially with uh, you know you could say with New Orleans, but I think especially with Phoenix and uh, Memphis, they're definitely going to be two interesting teams next year. In the, in the Western Conference, I think two teams that will probably make the playoffs, at least one of them will. And, um, yeah, definitely with some of the, the best young talent in the league, we talk about John Morant on, in Memphis, Jaron Jackson, and, um, you know, um, in Phoenix, of course, you got Devin Booker, uh, Kelly Oubre, and, um, you know, this uh, uh, the, the big man, Aiden. So yeah, just uh, you know, sit back, relax, check out these, check out this uh, very intricate ball talk, and uh, like I say, just uh, you know, do the knowledge on some of these teams that are no longer in the bubble, as uh, you know, we get closer to determining a one of our most unique. NBA champions ever. The bubble continues on, and of course, as that as that continues on, you can uh, definitely get the latest our thoughts and coverage on the teams that are left with uh, new running with war sessions each week. Uh, we uh, stream live on Wednesdays, and we will uh, come back with those uh, podcasts here on War on Anchor. Uh, typically on the on the Thursday or Friday, if uh, you know no later than Friday, but usually typically on Thursday. And uh, you know, yeah, definitely just check us out. Check out all our shows on War on Anchor. Then uh, the 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 that Davis show now uh, the renamed that Davis show from the ashes of the Dean Davis show. Uh, Second City Sports in the scope. And our new show, me with me, Dave Evans, and rookie, uh, rookie Shav, rookie White, uh, in the building where we go off on just about anything, you know, bringing uh, definitely that intimate man cave type feeling. The brothers building, the brothers speaking only as we can each week in the building. Uh, that's a Tuesday evening live stream on youtube Sup- support us on youtube man uh love to see more of you subscribing to us uh you know make sure that you can get access to our sh- our shows our live streams as they happen get uh notified right away that you can only do that by subscribing to we are regal radio and uh actually war media on uh youtube search war media Pretty much search War Media on all our social platforms now. Been renaming, uh, you know, updating the sites and everything, the pages. So you try to search War Media, W A R R Media, on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and uh, Instagram, as well as you know the podcast platforms and YouTube. So you know, keep supporting, keep showing us love, and we're gonna show it right back. And uh, yeah. We'll uh we'll highlight y'all later.
All right. All right, let's get it going. Kyle Means here, War Media. We are regalradio.com. And uh, we're, we're back at it here, Running With War podcast, doing something special with my man, Evan Barnes, who is the reporter down at the Memphis Commercial Appeal, right? And uh, yeah, has been covering those Grizzlies, man, those up and coming Grizzlies, among other things down there. And uh, no, we're glad to have Evan on to give a little insight and into what they've done, you know, so far, what they've done in the bubble. Even though, you know, just coming up short, they were, uh, they came into the bubble as as the AFC proper, you know, but fell back, had some, took some, took some, uh, took some L's down there in Orlando, wound up playing in the playing game. Uh, you know, that was, you know, impressed a lot of people. You know, they had the spotlight to themselves with Portland uh, this past Saturday and just came up short against those trailblazers who are now playing in the one, eight matchup against LA in the playoffs. But um, yeah, no, Evan, just starting off, man, you know, what were, what were your thoughts on how things played out for Memphis in the bubble? You know, you had a team that was beat up a couple of their, of their key players were, were really, were, you know, out of the, out of the games completely. And um, you know, I've looked at some of your stories that you've written recently. You just wrote a story about Ja, you know, who played through the games and apparently he played with a broken thumb in, in the last four games. So he really, you know, gritted it out just to get through this thing. And, uh, you know, it, it just seemed like Memphis was not in an ideal place for these games, but they still were, were on the verge of making the playoffs. So, you know, what were, your, what were your thoughts overall on their effort and how things played out for them? Well, I thought it went, you know, as well as expected. Once, um, I thought, honestly, like, you know, things started to were a bad omen with a bad omen when Justin Winslow got hurt before their first scrimmage game. Sure. Uh, they, had, they had high hopes for him coming in and, you know, getting a chance to see what he could do before next season. So with him out, things were kind of like, all right, well, they hadn't played without Justice all year. He's trade deadline, you know, they hadn't played, so... It wouldn't be that, pro- that a problem. But then they lost Tyus Jones um, and showed the importance of having a great backup point guard. Then Jaron Jackson gets hurt. So honestly, you know, this team didn't really catch a break until really the Bucks game when uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo got suspended for the headbutt. So with all that said, I mean, I think this is a good learning experience for them. They learned basically how to be a playoff team. They learn what it takes. They learn that being a young team means you can't waste possessions. You can't settle for bad shots because good teams are going to try to settle for what works for them. Um, you have to stick to what works, which some early on at least they, they went away from you know going inside early, and it showed better success at the end of the seeding games. But ultimately, you know, getting what two games within the playoffs for a team that wasn't supposed to win more than twenty-seven games, um, I think it's and unquestioned success, and I think it really kind of showed the future of this team, and it showed John Morant is going to be somebody that more NBA fans are going to get to know um, really over the next 12 months. I'm not going to say, like, next few years. Over the next 12 months, more people are going to get to know who he is. Yeah, definitely. I mean, job is really not enough you could say about him. The 
prohibitive rookie of the year and a guy who, you know, you got to think the league is going to expect to be a, a star going forward. And, um, you know, with, with all the promise that, you know, you have with him and with guys like Jaron Jackson and stuff and, you know, uh, it, it is that the overall take I mean, coming from the players and from the organization itself, is, is it overall, is the overall feeling just, just like, you know, yeah, we do feel that we got a lot coming to us or is, or is it more, or is it more of a feeling of like, damn, we just missed out on an opportunity here. Is there any bitterness towards coming up short and for the playoffs this year? I don't think so much bitter. I think there's more sense of, I'll use what Taylor Jenkins said. When he walked in the locker room, he said the team looked at him and said, we got work to do. <laughs> he, had, he had the same attitude. So I think they feel like this was a a good lesson. They feel like, okay, hey, you know, they felt like nobody was, you know, they were counted out. They were, they were the eight seed, but nobody expected them to be in there. And everyone knew Portland was probably going to be tougher once they added Nurkic and Collins and people thought the Pelicans might have a better chance because their schedule was so easy. Um, so they kind of took it as good learning experience. We saw we could get better. Um, would they have liked to play the Lakers? Of course, but there was a sense of we got work to do. Let's get after it because we have a chance to really kind of build on something here. And for the first time in three years, there's hope for the Grizzlies. There's hope that it's not just playing for the lottery. You're playing for a chance to hopefully be in contention next year. So I think there's a sense of, you know, happy but not satisfied. Kind of what Taylor Jenkins said to us today during his exit interview. Like, you know, pleased but not satisfied. Okay. And you, you mentioned the young coach, Taylor Jenkins, and I saw another story you read. You wrote uh, about him being uh, sort of miss. I think he he was his. They said his name wrong on the on the national telecast and everything. And well, you know, you see like he's a nondescript, but nondescript right now. He's a, he's not a guy that a lot of people know, but he's a, a pretty interesting guy. Why don't you uh, you know? Could you go into just what uh, makes him work as a as a coach for this young team? Yeah, and obviously that was probably the most frustrating part for a lot of people here in Memphis because, you know, here's a first-year coach who's trying to prove himself. He's the second youngest coach in the league, and you had ABC's crew mispronouncing his name multiple times at multiple points in the game. Um, that was not um, well-received and, frankly, was not, you know, the best of ABC broadcast, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. But for somebody who literally this is his first time being a head coach on the, at the NBA level, he came in, you know, assistant with Mike Budenholzer, um, with, the, with the Hawks and with the Bucks, um, he really just came in and said, look, we're going to let things fly. We're going to let it fly, which is what they wanted to do, shoot a bunch of threes. But he also wanted to create this, like, really fun, loose atmosphere where guys wanted to come compete. They didn't want to just compete to compete. They wanted to have fun, and they wanted to have compete. And I wrote some stuff earlier this, uh, right before the hiatus, basically, about how you know, he gets them together for kickball games. He took them for, like, softball games. Like, he really, you know, is using his youth as an advantage to really kind of, like, say, hey, let's have fun. We're all figuring this out together. Let's have fun. But also, at the same time, put the trust in a 20, at the time, 20-year-old point guard to, to run the show. Um, give this team creative freedom to, you know, run up and down the floor, which the Grizzlies really weren't known for. The Gritty Grind was a very methodical, plotting, yeah. pure purest style, if you will, but now it's a much more entertaining, fun game, and so he's really got, deserves a lot of credit for just 
knowing how to just unlock this team and say, hey, you have a 20-year-old point guard. Don't try to rein him in. Work with him. Let him trust you and make it work. Again, I'm surprised Jenkins wasn't a finalist for a coach of the year because I thought what he did this year was just as good a job as as Nick Nurse, Buttonholes, or even Billy Donovan, although I think Nick Nurse probably will win coach of the year. But I thought what he did was a really good job for a first-time head coach and a team that really had no expectations. He kind of was – letting them unlock their potential. Okay. It's it's interesting because you mentioned how the team is sort of evolving past that grit and grind, grindhouse uh, reputation that the franchise had back when they last were winning with people like uh, Marcus Gasol and, uh, you know, uh, uh, Zach Randolph and, and all that, Tony Allen and all those guys, you know, but it seems that you know when you look at those teams, and you're getting a little bit, little bit of it now with stuff like, you know, people mispronouncing Jenkins' name and stuff, broadcasts and stuff. It seems like Memphis has a has a uh, typically has played with a chip on the shoulder, played with a, a a belief that they've been overlooked by a lot of the NBA community and stuff. So that may be something that this team probably. Is, is going to internalize as well, even though they have, you know, some good young stars and they're playing a different type of basketball than those older Grizzlies teams play. Oh, yeah. They, they've already, you know, you probably saw it during the during the broadcast, you know, Memphis versus everybody. That's the slogan here. Or should I say Memphis versus everybody? <laughs> uh, you know, but that's the slogan here. People buy into that because it is what they believe and it is what people have seen over the years and decades that Memphis has been overlooked and various ways and so the Grizzlies really kind of have that identity of hey people may ignore us people may think we're underdogs we're going to embrace that and for a young team obviously with a guy like John Moran who went to Murray State he embraces that because people overlooked him you know his one of his boys from South Carolina Zion Williamson Zion became an a internet star before he got to high school John Moran had to go to Murray State and wasn't really well known until his sophomore year so they have players on this team who embrace that, you know, that, I guess you could say, underdog mentality. I think it's made them stronger because they understand, hey, we're all in this together, you know, let's go with it. And they embrace them for it. Okay, okay. And, you know, of course, you know, Jai's been, Jai's the star right now. He's the man. But, uh, you know, let's look at, at some at the rest of the roster where you look at, you know, uh, what's really making this team go. And, and you know, you, you, I say you have, you have Jai, you have, uh, you have Jaron, and you also have some, you have some veteran uh, leadership developing as well, players who had some time in the league, like, like Violet Shunas and Dylan Brooks. You know, Kyle Anderson has had a bit of time, uh, you know, in San Antonio prior to being in Memphis. Uh, you know, uh, among those players and, and, any anybody else who you want to mention? You know, you know, you mentioned Jones and Winslow. They're being out. How that affected the team in Orlando? You know, what what do you think is really going? How does what do you think about how this team is going to evolve further and develop going into the next season? And you know, what do you think their their ceiling would probably be as as a unit? Sure. Well, um, you know, just for some other guys to keep note of. I mean, obviously, Jaron Jackson Jr. was, you know, took a great step forward in his second year. Obviously, somebody who's 
got really unique gifts being a 6'11 shooter who can protect the rim. Um, yeah. He obviously is taking a lot of strife. He got hurt during the bubble, so that kind of made things a little bit hard. But, you know, him, Dylan Brooks, who I think is has been like a polarizing figure here because he'll shoot you in the games, he may shoot you out again, but he plays with that same type of energy you just love because it's a fire. Like, he plays with the fire of somebody with a second-round pick but it has supreme confidence that every shot he puts up, every play that he guards somebody, he's getting a stop, you know. Um, and then, obviously, one of the things that I really like about this team is that um, they have a traditional big man. As much as the team wants to get up and down the floor, they have a big man in Jonas Valanciunas who can get you a double-double. And I like it because when they get him involved, the team usually does well because he can set the tone, he's a decent shot blocker, but he also can make you get easy shots, which is what they learned in the bubble is, you need guys who can get easy shots. As much as John can get to the rim, it's also easy to get the rim and you can dip, dump it off to, to a big man who can do, you know, a double-double. Um, and then also, I know Brandon Clark had a great rookie year. I think, you know, and I think he had the highest field goal percentage ever by a rookie. Hmm. Um, and he was just, he was efficient. He was the 21st pick in the draft. You know, people talked about him, but it wasn't like, you know, he was somebody that people thought, okay, Maybe he'll get drafted in the lottery. You know, he slid all the way down, and people were surprised by that. But all he's done is put together an all-rookie first-team caliber season. And someone who I think is going to be in the league for a while because he's efficient, he gets shots, he can run the rim, he can rebound. Um, so there's some good pieces here that can really kind of make this team go, you know, be a contender at least for the next couple of years. Obviously, next year in the West is going to be tough because – the Warriors are going to be healthy with Curry and Thompson back. The Warriors yeah. are going to be, you know, we think they're obviously they're going to be, you know, a playoff contender now that, you know, they have a healthy Nurkic with them. And, you know, whether Carmelo comes back into the year, this team is still going to be in the playoffs, playoff picture next year. Um, the Suns are going to be better. The Pelicans, I think, if Zion can, you know, stay healthy for a whole year, they're going to be in the mix. So I think the ceiling is really tough to say because there's so many good young teams in the, in the West where, the Grizzlies have to find a way to continue to fight and push themselves. Like, there's a chance that next year they might be a better team if they don't make the playoffs. Yeah. As simple as that. So I think this team can definitely get to the playoffs at least in two years. And then we'll see what happens, like who they get. But I think, you know, they probably need to get maybe another scorer, another shooter who can be more reliable. Um, that's probably their biggest concern right now is for all the talk of let it fly. They don't have that knockdown reliable shooter besides Jaron Jackson yet. Um, so I think that's going to be the key. But I think in two years, this team should be competing for a playoff spot. And hopefully when Ja and Jaron's rookie deals come up and they get ex- if they want to get extended, the team will be in position to keep pushing to be maybe, you know, a top six team in the West in two or three years once LeBron retires, once, you know, the Warriors, you know, dynasty gets a little bit older. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, I like the way you look at it. I don't know if, if the fans down there are going to be looking at it that way, but it's it's going to be tough in the West. You know, like you say, there's so many good young teams out there. The, the, those teams seem to be all developing at the same rate, you know, when you look at New Orleans and the Suds, and, you know, maybe you can even throw in a Sacramento if they get their front office right, you know. But definitely the Suns and New Orleans and – and you talk about Portland too, of course, having their talent and you know really being something above an eight seed, but they were just where they were at the time for the bubble. So 
it, it's definitely going to be interesting to see where the where those Memphis fit in. And we, if you look at a way that they can gain talent, one way is going to definitely be the draft. They've been effective in, in recent years in the draft. And I want to get into uh, the piece that you wrote regarding their their uh, lottery chances. Lottery's coming up on Thursday. Now, they have a, a, a slot at 14 in the draft, but that if it stays there, that would go to Boston, uh, apparently. But they can get in the lottery if they move up into the top four. And I would have to think that that would be particularly, uh, you know, particularly tantalizing for Memphis because that may mean a chance at James Wiseman. So has there been any talk of that nature down there? Well, it's funny because, you know, you mentioned that, that 14 that fourteen pick. Um, there's, I think, a 2, 2.4% chance that they... <laughs> yeah, it's not a good chance. <laughs> no, like, basically, they have to... There's a 2.4 chance to get in the lottery, and if they don't get in the lottery, that pick goes to Boston as part of a, a rules from a trade from 2015. So, honestly, we're more, most people expect that pick to get conveyed to Boston, and it's off the books, and Memphis in the day of 2021. But I was surprised when I mentioned that um, who was going to be at the draft lottery representing for them, Elliot Perry, who's a minority owner and radio um, analyst. For the yeah. And of course, a city legend who played at Memphis State, played in the NBA. Yeah. Um, when I mentioned that he was going to be their, their representative, everybody got excited, like, oh, my gosh, they're going to get this pick. They're going to get this pick. <laughs> and I was surprised. I'm like, do, do you guys want this pick? Like, I, this, this draft is not really – considered a strong draft and you know you have a young team where you have 12 guys under contract but do you, you really want to um do this do you really want to get another young player do you try to get a veteran mid-level exception um but people were excited about it so um and of course yes there is the the slight chance what they if they i think if they get the pick they may get excited about james white i think that it let's let's go one step at a time if they get the pick Maybe they'll be like, wow, geez, why is he coming? But if they don't, then obviously they'll move ahead. But, I mean, it would be kind of funny if, you know, everything surrounding James Wiseman's career here in Memphis, whether it was um, his high school career, the three games he played before the NCAA ruled him ineligible, or if by some luck or way Memphis got, you know, a pick to bring him back here. I mean, it would be kind of crazy. Um, but I think most people expect that that pick is probably not coming here. Um, so we'll see in a couple, we'll see in a day. Yeah. I just had to throw that out there seeing that. It, Cause I think if James Wiseman somehow ended up on the Grizzlies, there may be a federal investigation coming down from somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, well, I'll tell you what, you know, much Memphis and the NCAA have not really, uh, seen out of eye over the years. I think some people would be like, you know what? This is one thing they can't take away. Right. This is one thing nobody can take away and be like conspiracy, conspiracy. Cause you know, they can say it all they want. The New York Knicks have been hearing conspiracy talk for 35 years about that lottery pick. They got with Patrick Ewing. So. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, man. I, I'm glad to, like I said, glad to talk to you about the Grizzlies. But uh, before before we go, uh, I just want to get a little, a little bit into your story and everything. And I've known you for a, a while, uh, you know, both being involved in, in the NABJ and stuff. And I, I know you're an L.A. guy. So, uh, you know, you've only recently been in Memphis. How long have you been in Memphis now? Two and a half years now. Okay. How, how have you been liking it? 
it's been great, man. Like, you know, I'm getting used to the, the culture, the community, the food, the barbecue, the, the, the laid-back vibes here in Memphis. Like, I've gotten used to it pretty well, and I, I enjoy it here. It's a great city, um, great people. Um, I think it, it took me a while coming from L.A. to kind of get used to the pace of things. But the good news is that people here are so warm to you, and they want you to love the city. And you can't help but love the city because it's, you know, a blue-collar working-class city that has a lot of heart and culture. I mean, this is a city that gave us, you know, Stax music. This is a city that gave us, you know, 3-6 Mafia, 8-Ball-JG. <laughs> yes, sir. For those who love Elvis, Elvis is revered here. You yeah. Sun Studios, if you love Johnny Cash and, and all that stuff. I mean, this is a city that's given so much to this, this, uh, this country. But when you come here and you really see how the people interact it's a very just great place to be so i'm enjoying it i i really enjoy being here and whenever someone calls me memphian i get proud because i feel like i've done my part to try to really embrace the best of the city and and you you've covered quite a bit down there you've been covering uh some stuff on the college level too and so it's it's interesting with a town like that you got that mix of college and pro uh, interest, you know, because for so long they didn't really have pro sports in that in that region. So I was just wondering, what was your what's your takeaway been on Memphis as a sports city uh, as you've been getting uh, to know it? Well, college basketball runs the city. Um, I, I'll never forget it when I moved here. I went to a Tigers basketball game. I was one of the first things I did, um, and I saw how the people reacted to the team. I saw how much they cared about the team. Um, I also basically heard people wanting Penny Hardaway as the head coach when mm. I got here. Sure. And then a few months later, Penny was the coach, you know. Um, they, but this is a very passionate sports town. They love the Tigers. They care about um, the Tigers basketball team. The football team, you know, now on the six-year run of being really good. So slowly more and more people are caring about the Tigers football team. And the Grizzlies, when they came here almost 20 years ago, you know, it took them a while, but they've been embraced. Obviously, the uh, the grit and grind era made them more beloved and, you know, had the form rocking. But what I love about the city is that it very, it's a very, what's the way to put it? It's like a big city with like a small town atmosphere. So you have people who are very passionate about their sports. Um, but yet it's like, you know, it's almost like a small town. This is our field. This is our city, our team. But yet Memphis has a national outreach. Like Memphis basketball people know because of Penny, but also because of Derek Rose and, era. Um, people know Memphis football a little bit more because they're putting guys in the NFL. Oh, they went to the Cotton Bowl this past year, which, by the way, was one of the coolest experiences I had. Um, and the Grizzlies, people know. Like People even growing up, up in L.A., you knew about the grit and grind area. You knew that they were going to be a tough physical team. You knew Zach Brent went from somebody who people were intimidated by to somebody who comes to Memphis and is universally loved here. Everyone loves Zebo here. So it's a very fascinating and fun sports town where it's different from L.A., where it's like L.A.'s sports is, is passionate. And I don't think there's enough credit for that because everyone assumes we're doing so many different things up here. But L.A. is a very passionate sports town. Here in Memphis, you feel that passion a little bit more because, you know, it is such a big part of the city's fabrics. So it's, okay. it's a very cool uh, very cool experience. Yeah, I just and, – and you speaking on that, I just was thinking about how – yeah, it's been about 20 years now, and Memphis has been playing on the West. They played a lot on the West Coast because they've been in the Western Conference. I've, I've seen someone recently on Twitter, I believe, mention, like, on the, out, on the, on the out, uh, 
chance that Seattle gets back into the league and that sort of evens up the league again, that maybe Memphis should probably get moved to the east if uh you know if Seattle gets back in the league and they of course would be on the on the west. You know, do you think that might would that be a prudent move for Memphis? Do you think it would change a lot about the franchise if it if it moved to the east? It's the first time I thought about that, actually. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's because, you know, there's so much history with Memphis being a Western Conference team that it would take some time to get used to. It's like watching baseball and realizing that um, the Astros are an American League team. Yeah, because they've been a, yeah, so long they were an L team. Yeah. Right, or the, or the Brewers. I think the Brewers were in the AL Friday yeah. Switch League. Yep. You know, like, it would be, a, it would be weird. Um, especially for a city like Memphis, where they like tradition and things, um, that would probably put people off. Um, I don't know if it would help them in the future with the playoffs or help John Morant get into the All Star game because the he's going to get into. Um, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't think people would. Um, I don't know. I, I have to think about that a little more. I don't think people would like it, but you know. If Seattle did get a team, maybe, but I don't know. I don't think people would uh, people would like because people in Memphis are, are are very comfortable with what they like. I'm saying that <laughs> not yeah, not great with change or sudden change at least, huh? Right. And the Pelicans were invited, yes. but they did poorly. <laughs> yes. um, I think poorly is a, a a more nicer term to to describe it. Um, You're very polite. Yes. Yes. And <laughs> my first question to you, sir, is. What were the what you think are the pros and cons of this past season for the Pelicans? Hmm. The pros. Brandon Ingram was a pro. Yeah, in more ways than one. I think he should be the most improved player in the league. Uh, might be a little biased because he's here, but I think he definitely warrants you know consideration, which he has, and he may end up winning that uh, pro. Zion Williamson, the fact that he's here, uh, yeah, I would say that that's a pro, one of the big, big pros. He was the reason why they were even in the bubble, okay? They really tried to make it so that he could be part of that, you know, which, which I think is neat. In a small market like this, we don't usually get that kind of attention, okay? And they made sure that, what, five or six of the eight Pelicans games were nationally televised and some of them in prime time, and it was solely because of him and because they wanted him in. Uh, cons, I don't think he ever got in shape, ever, really. I don't think he was at any point. Obviously, maybe a lot of that had to do with the injury that uh, he sustained and was coming off. And, you know, they said he was in great shape when he arrived at the bubble but then he had to go take care of a family emergency and he came back looking like he wasn't in shape. I don't think he was ever in shape because we didn't really see much of it when the bubble started or when the workouts for the bubble started. I just think he was out of shape uh, and they may have to do something about that. Uh, even out of shape though, he looked pretty good. <laughs> I can't say that much about it. <laughs> you know, it's, he only played 24 games, Joshua, when you think about it. It seems like it was a lot more, but it was only 24 games I think he played in the entire season. And his numbers were like 24 minutes a game, and he had averaged 22 points a game. So 
if he gets in shape, I mean, that's a big pro, okay? a huge pro. Cons, I don't think they have enough in the middle. They don't have enough presence in the middle. The team doesn't. Derek Favors is a nice player, but he's a good defender on the floor for a pivot guy. He's a good defender on the floor, and that's not what they need. Uh, Derek Favors is the kind of guy that comes in off the bench and gives you something. He's not your starting center. He shouldn't be. They need a rim protector. That's a con that they have this year. No rim protection. One person I'm going to put Joshua pro and con is Lonzo Ball. Because at one point this season, he was a pro. And then there were some other parts this season, he was a con. I mean, a big con. And uh, I just hope he comes around. You know, I really do. I really do. And I'm glad you mentioned that because Lonzo Ball is obviously one of my topics that I'm going to get into, especially now that are out of the bubble. There's been some rumors circulating about whether or not he's actually going to stay in New Orleans. Uh, um, I've seen those rumors too. Yeah. Uh, I'm not surprised. You know, I, I thought about something like that during, during the eight-game bubble thing. And uh, there's probably somebody that would take him, but it depends what could they get for him. Uh, and do they, and I'm not so sure that they at this point want to get rid of him, but it depends on what they could get for it. And uh, it'll be interesting to see. I don't think that's out of the question, Dutch, that uh, they could uh, trade Lonzo Ball to get something for him. I don't think it's out of the question at all. Okay, okay. We'll circle back. We'll circle back around to that point. But sticking with uh, sticking with Zion, obviously, like you mentioned, he only played twenty four games, but he was a candidate for Rookie of the Year. Mm -hmm. Do you really think that with his numbers, even though he only played twenty four games, mm -hmm. he should really still be the? He should be like a candidate, and should he actually win the Rookie of the Year in your opinion? I f I felt all along that if the Pelicans past Memphis and caught, got that eight seed, you know, and I'm talking about, you know, before the pandemic came about. I felt that if they caught Memphis, that he should be rookie of the year instead of John Moran. John Moran had a terrific season, you know, uh, kind of slowed down like, like a lot of young players do sometimes, you know, because it's just, they're not used to playing that many games. And, uh, you know, I thought that if they did that, if the Pels caught them and got that eighth seed, then I thought Zion should be. Then, of course, they said that everything would be, uh, qualifications would be what happened before the bubble. So now that disqualifies, disqualifies Zion right there for me if I was voting. Then I'd have to say that it was John Moran. But, uh, you know, I'm really excited about the possibilities with Zion. I mean, I really am. There's some people who are kind of down on him. I'm not sure what they expected. Uh, he has some, mm, I don't, people ex saw him at Duke, saw him covering half the court and blocking shots and that sort of thing. You know, if you remember that famous shot, somebody took a shot in the corner and he came from nowhere and squatted it away. Well, it wasn't going to happen a lot in the NBA. You know, I mean, he can do that sometimes, but he has the ability to be a really good defensive player. But like I said, when you're out of shape, and I do believe he was out of shape. I mean, I, do, I just do. I mean, 
you know, I'm not a <laughs> trainer or anything, but he just looked out of shape to me. This is movement looked out of shape, especially when he came back during the bubble. I mean, he just looked winded. He just, he didn't have that, that pop that he had, that, that quickness. It just didn't look like he had it when he returned. And, but like I said, I feel good. I feel good about Sai. You know, with the right people around him and the right people riding him, maybe he needs to be, you know, need somebody really riding him as far as his diet and the whole works. I'm not sure what it is, but if he can stay healthy, he'll be a big time player, no doubt about it. Okay, so I just want to make sure you, you're not too concerned about Zion's health as far as even with the injuries. Because, I mean, I think, was, I think someone mentioned that he pretty much got injured in every level of competition he's played in. It's mm-hmm. some way, shape, or form. So it's like, you sure you're not worried about, especially with a knee, a kneecap that he had to get mm-hmm. surgery on? I mean, you, you don't think he's going to be he's no concerned about that? You're right about it. But like I said, I think if they get the right people around him and ride him, you know, and, and, and just make him do some things that maybe as a young guy that he, you know, never thought about doing. Uh, you know, he was in high school this time, two years ago or whatever. You, you didn't have to do that. You were bigger than everybody else. You were better than everybody else. You could jump higher than everybody else. You're playing against grown men, grown men who take care of their bodies and been taking care of their bodies for a long time. And you've got to travel. See, I think one of the things about NBA life that people overlook is the lifestyle and the traveling part of it. You know, I mean, just think, it's not easy to play in one city one night and the temperature may be 50 degrees or whatever, and then you go to some other place the next night, the temperature may be 20 degrees and it's a back-to-back and, uh, you know, it's, it's just not easy, you know, and you got a cold. <laughs> But nobody wants to hear that you got a cold or, or you might have the flu fall, you know. But no, you got to go out and play and they expect you to look like they want you to look. The reason why they came to the game was to see you. And you know, it's a hard life. That part of it is hard. A lot of people don't, don't really think about that. And I think there was some adjustment as far as Zion and like most young players are concerned as far as NBA life. It's just not as glamorous all the time as people think. You know, you may be on private jets, but you still get in the middle of the night. Okay, <laughs> you still arrive in the middle of the morning, and and it's yeah, you're not commercial, but it, it's not easy. And I think he has to probably has to get accustomed to some of that. Okay, I understand that. I think he also has to learn to lay to lay off a little bit on the good New Orleans food because y'all got it down. <laughs> Y'all got a maid down there with all that, with all that gumbo and that jambalaya, that catfish, that seafood. That's not, that's not fair, man. I can see why he gained, he might have gained some weight and be out of shape. Y'all food's off the charts, so he may have to. I mean, got to plead guilty on that. We got to plead guilty, okay? I mean, I, yep, I, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. However, when he left from the bubble, he didn't come to New Orleans. He went, I guess he went back to South Carolina. I guess he did. You know, he went back to South Carolina. And, you know, and, and like uh, like my good friend David Grubb, you know, who <laughs> has a podcast, he said, you can't go back home and grandma wants to feed you. You can't say no. You know, you, you got to take what grandma wants to feed you. 
and you know, going to South Carolina, I mean, we pretty much know what kind of food grandma put yeah. in front of it. <laughs> so maybe that was part of it. But yeah, you're right. We we are not the best city in the world for you to watch your weight. <laughs> he needs to be playing in where? Where you think? Cleveland, maybe? Someplace like that? Yeah, something like that where it's not too much going on. I mean, New Orleans yeah. is really, really popping, especially <laughs> you talking about Bourbon Street and the good food y'all got, man. That's not fair. I mean, I went for one weekend and I gained five pounds. I already know. <laughs> so I already know what he could be dealing with. Everybody listening right now, you're listening to Ro Brown. Uh, Ro. <laughs> Let's transition back to Lonzo Ball because Lonzo Ball, like we've mentioned before, digressed during the bubble. He had some positive moments, but also some negative moments, and the bubble really mm-hmm. exposed that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been, it's been rumored that you know that he might be on the trading block, and I think one of the teams that's been mentioned that's interested in him is actually the Phoenix Suns. That's right. That's so if I was the Pelicans, do I really consider trading him to that team to pair him up? Or Devin Booker, and is he actually a good fit for Phoenix? Devin Booker, Phoenix would be crazy to get rid of Devin Booker before he wants to leave, before he's able to leave. Uh, I'm not saying I'm not saying trade Devin Booker. I'm talking about pairing him up with Devin Booker. <laughs> oh, you mean when he gets there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. If he got to Phoenix, yeah. I mean, I could. I think I could play point guard with Devin Booker. <laughs> at 68 years old I think I could do that no seriously um, Lanzo like we said earlier he was really good at some times and during the bubble it wasn't very good at all yeah I'm always this day and age Joshua I'm always kind of surprised when a young player like Lonzo Ball, who's a guard, can't shoot. Because it seems like that's what they all do now. Okay, now I don't know if, if it's, you know, and if they don't do it, they try to do it. Uh, you know, our seven footers all think that they have to be Kevin Durant now. You know, nobody, nobody wants to be a post player anymore. They all want to face the basket and they all want to shoot. So when I see a guard in this day and age who looks like he never hit a jump shot in his life sometimes, okay? It, it, it's, it kind of baffles me. He's long, a lot of possibilities. Uh, I'm not saying that they should trade him, but I just think that, you know, if David Griffin and them have a chance to get something for him, that they'll probably listen. But, you know, he had his ups and he had his downs, his ups were really good, and his downs were really bad. Uh, there was no in-between, it seemed to me, this season, you know, with uh, Lonzo Ball. And, and uh, like I said, I'm not saying get rid of him. I'm not saying they need to cut bait and get rid of him. But I think if they could get something worthwhile that they really need, that they may have to think about that. Here's my question for you, though. Where is, it, where is LeVar? <laughs> not that I want him, okay. Not that I, I'm not, <laughs> but 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 Joshua, remember? I mean, he was everywhere. <laughs> there was a time when he was everywhere. And did you hear anything from him this year? I think I think the a lot of, now, I think what happened is two things. <laughs> Number one, 
he likes big cities, but not big. As, he wants things bigger than New Orleans. Okay. I think that's number one. Mm-hmm. And I think number two, the Ball Brothers signed with Rock Nation now. Mm-hmm. They signed with Jay Z. So yeah, yeah. Jay Z and them probably was like, "Look, Lavar, we love you, but look here, if you boys signing <laughs> with us. He may have to limit you a little bit." <laughs> and he's like, "Hey, that's what they want. So I got to step back now." But I mean, you know, I mean, with Go on, I'm sorry. No, I'm just saying, but I think that will change, especially if LaMelo Ball uh-huh. goes to New York uh-huh. or goes to a big city like that, mm-hmm. like a really big city. Yeah. LaMelo gets, ends up going over there. Vonzo, <laughs> for some reason, gets traded to go to something like that. Oh, he'll pop out. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he'll pop out. <laughs> because, I mean, with, with social media like this, I mean, you know, I mean, when you say he didn't want to come to a smaller market, I, mean, I understand what you're saying, you know, that he doesn't want to be in there, but with social media, I mean, we saw him anyway all the time, you know, it, it yeah. seemed. And and he just kind of fell off the face of the earth. And I'm not saying I want him back. I'm not saying that. I just <laughs> during the season, that crossed my mind now and then. I go, you know, wow, I wonder where is dad? Uh, how good is uh, his brother? His brother's projected top three. But Can't how be. good is he? How good is he? Is he better than Lonzo, you think? I don't know. I, I've yeah. seen a little I think he, had, yeah, he has to be better than Lonzo. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah I, I, other people have told me that. I mean, I'll be perfectly honest. I haven't seen enough of him, but uh, you're not the first person to say that you think he's better than his older brother. Uh-huh. That's pretty good. Okay, that's pretty good. I'm glad, I'm glad you approved my analysis. I really appreciate oh, yeah. that. Oh, you know what you're talking about. <laughs> 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 you know more than I do about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell, well, well, talk to me about this then, because since you you briefly mentioned that you think David Griffin will listen to trade tra- trade offers for, um, for you know Lonzo Ball. Mm-hmm. One of the times that you actually talked to me was last time we talked was you know with the AD trade and how you knew <laughs> you had sources inside that gave you insight as far as you know they knew Dell Demps was eventually out the door, right. um, the, and. You know, and even Alvin Gentry at the time was on the fence, depending mm-hmm. on who they hired. And now that he's gone, like, how, what is the pulse of the Pelicans locker room right now? If you have any insight on what the Pelicans locker room could be right now, what mm-hmm. is the pulse of it? I, you know, I would say, you know, and I'm not going to tell you that, you know, that I, I see them every day. I mean, none of us have seen them really into the last three or four months. But for the most part, this team is so new and young. I mean, it, it, it really is. I mean, we got all the people who came here, you know, Josh Hart and Ingram and Ball and, and Favors came, you know, and like I said, the previous three and from L.A. with the trade, the whole works. Uh, you know, Drew Holiday, of course, is here, who I think is, you know, a really, really, really good player. Uh, you know, not that kind of vocal rah-rah guy, but, you know, a veteran player who, Everybody knows he's a terrific two-way player. He does well on offense and on defense. Uh, I got the feeling that, I mean, the times that I was just around them, I got the feeling that they didn't have a problem with Alvin Gentry. You know, I, I didn't get the feeling that there was any real problem. Say, for instance, like you feel like you had in Philadelphia. You know, the Sixers, I mean, you're just looking at them on television, it just it didn't look, you could tell that there was something going on with some of the players and the coaches. I never got that from the Pels this year. 
now, I can't tell you that they, you know, that they're all surprised perhaps that a change was made in getting rid of Alvin Gentry, but the polls seemed all right. I mean, it just seemed like a young team uh, with a lot of new people who went on a 13-game losing streak early. I think that had a lot to do with their psyche, and they kind of broke away and were playing pretty well, uh, all things considered, at the time that the yeah, pandemic hit. But I, I didn't really see, I didn't feel any friction between Alvin Gentry and the players. Now, they didn't always play the way that they should have played for him, but I just didn't get any friction from it. You know, it seemed like a guy who was coaching a young team, you know, and had some veterans like J.J. Reddick, who was their best player in the bubble, and uh, Drew, you know, and Derek Favors came over. I mean, I considered him a veteran, but by and large, I just didn't, I didn't feel a problem, you know, if, if that's what you're asking. But I just, I just didn't get that feeling that the pulse was something that was negative. Okay. So as far as Alvin Gentry is concerned, so you're saying that his departure from the team, did you think that it could eventually get to that point? Or did you think, you know, he could, he could have potentially had at least one more season to work with this group before he got out, shipped out the door? I think if they had played better during the, in the bubble, he may have gotten another season. Mm -hmm. They played better. Okay, and I'm not saying necessarily if they had secured the eight or nine spot in the seeding, if they had played better, I have a feeling that he would still be here. There was a lot of talk last season about Alvin Gentry being relieved of his duties. Uh, you heard a lot because, you know, the owner, Mrs. Benson, liked it because he's a good guy. He's a nice guy, you know, it's a really good guy. And, uh, but I thought that if they played better, during the eight game bubble season, that he would still be here. But there were just times that they just didn't, didn't look like they, didn't look like they were grasping whatever he was trying to tell them. And uh, that cost him his job, I think. And also, I mean, David Griffin is the kind of guy who probably wants his own guy. You know, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, that's how it is with a lot of professional sports franchises. You get a new general manager, you get a new person that's running the basketball and football, baseball operations. And you may, I mean, he knew how the gentry and they worked together, I think, in Phoenix. I mean, they weren't strangers. And, uh, but you want your own person. And so the person who's already there is probably on a bit of a short leash. And that happens all over the league. I think. I mean, that happens all over the league. And part of that is the reason I think why Alvin is along with their play down the stretch. Because they recovered nicely from a 13-game losing streak. I, I, you got to give him that much. I mean, <laughs> a 13-game losing streak. And they recovered nicely from that. They really did, to the point where they were in contention. And if they played a little bit, they would have been close to that nine seed. Okay, okay, that's, that's some good feedback and I've, I've been some good insight. I appreciate that because now.
gmail.com, War Media, The Empire Rising. And um, here for our Running With War Eliminated segments that we're doing, I'm uh, chopping it up with a real good friend, a, a great guy who has been on the grind for a while and has worked and got to a an NBA uh, a, well, NBA beat and is covering the Phoenix Suns. So, um, you know, I'm glad to have him on. He's been on the Dean Davis show. He's been on other programming that we've had, but he's out in Arizona now, and he's doing his thing. Like I said, covering the Suns for the Arizona Republic, Mr. Dwayne Rankin is uh, on Running With War for the first time. How you doing, bro? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good, brother. What's up with you? I'm good, man. Just, you know, enjoying uh, – I'm, I'm getting some heat out here like y'all getting, man. I'm, I don't say that. <laughs> I'm just trying to stay cool. Well, it's probably not as bad as y'all. If it's, if it's like 95 here, it's probably like 115 out there. It's 112, 115, something like that. You oh, know? man. Uh, you know, you just, you just stay inside. Yeah. Or you – you in and out. <laughs> you, know, you may have law, but you know you shouldn't be anyway. <laughs> right. That's true. Yeah. I caught you earlier. You had the mask cause so you stay responsible. I I ain't mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> Try to anyway, man. It's crazy out there, man. You got some people just don't want to be responsible, man. You know, so I I guess I can't worry. Man. You know, I worry about what other people are doing because I am, but I mean, I got to work for myself, so. Uh, Arizona was pretty wild for a while. Is it has it gotten better out there? It's getting better with the COVID test. You know, it's, it's getting better, but still, you know, people just just gotta be smart, man. You know, you can't you can't be out here just acting like there's nothing going on. I think that was a that was a big problem in Arizona. You know, Phoenix and Arizona, just people just kind of kind of like, all right, whatever. And you know, it's like, no, you can't do whatever. You know, you right. Have to, you know, be, be responsible. So I think that, you know, people putting mandates on things. You know what I'm saying? You can't go in a certain spot without a mask. You know, I mean, I saw a, a lady the other day. You know, I was at, I was at Goodyear, and lady was getting ready to walk in without a mask, even though the sign clearly says, you know, no mask. She was like, oh, I, I forget every time I go out. You know, I'm like, nah, yeah, come on. Well, a lot, a lot of freedom lovers out there in in Arizona. I, I can imagine. Well, just you know, you know, people don't want to be told what to do. You know, it's just what it is. I mean, people have a hard time being told what to do, and when you have people who, who have, who, you know, kind of been living doing their own thing, and then you know, all of a sudden, someone's saying, "Hey, look, you can't do this, you can't do that," and they don't, don't not, they didn't really respond to that. Well, from my opinion. But, uh, you know, it is getting better. It's, it's still not safe enough for me to be walking around without a mask and to get hand sanitizer in my pocket. You know, it's still not safe enough to, to drop those two things. But but it is better. I, I have to admit it's better. I mean, but, you know, still got a long way to go. Yeah, definitely. That, that's all you could do in the end is take care of yourself, you know, right. if nothing else, you know. But, um, yeah, let's get to, to what we're here for, man, talking about the Suns and, you know, uh, the Suns had one of the more interesting rides down there in Orlando. You know, they went, they won all their games, but they didn't wind up in the, in the in the playoffs proper. 
They didn't even round up in the in the playing game. So, you know, just starting off, like, from from your point of view as a guy who's followed the team, you know, what do you think they've taken from that experience and, and what what has it meant to them? You know, a lot of people are high on them right now, but they didn't get that experience of getting to play in the actual playoffs. Right, right. I, 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 look, at it, I look at it in a couple of ways. One, you know, they were able to be a, you know, they, if you look at them, the last three wins, first of all, you know, I, you, you can't, you can't front them going, hey, no, I mean, considering the circumstances, uh, they did very well to go, hey, no, but they did great. I mean, the only, the only team they lost to was a Boston, and that was an exhibition game, and you can see how well Boston's playing, so, you know, they, they lost to a really good, to, to a really good team, a playoff team, but, you know, they beat Utah and, and uh, Toronto in the exhibition game. The Durant is exhibition, but I thought they kind of set them up to move forward and to play the way they did. If you look at the last three wins, you know, you could, you could put an asterisk beside them. I mean, because OKC rested like five guys. Philly was without five guys. You know, Embiid, Simmons, you know, obviously Simmons has been out with the knee. And so key guys were rested in those two games. Sure, uh, yeah. Dallas, well, the last game against Dallas, you know, Luka didn't play second half. You know, so those last three are kind of like, you know, not, not not given, but not exactly much of a challenge either. But the first first the first four, first four or five, I mean, they, you know, beating Dallas that first game uh, by two, then they went off over the Clippers. Then they beat Indiana, which was undefeated at the time in the bubble. And then they beat Miami. And Miami didn't have Butler, but Miami, you know, played a certain style. So, you know, they, they have a culture there, obviously. So that five and zero start to me is more impressive than the eventual eight and zero because they they won some they won they they won those games I thought were legitimate you know wins not that the other ones aren't but this but more legitimate is what I should say so yeah. I think they got ways to you know work together I you know I think that crazy thing about it I think that you know they got to know each other far better than they did when they were during the season you know it was like they you know. Now, I don't want to call it forced, but, you know, it was like wasn't much to do, you know, in, in the ball. So they spent a lot of time together. I think Devin got to know his teammates far better than he ever has, uh, you know, during the season. So I think that helped. The fact that they won without Oubre and the Baines not playing a game, I thought that was significant. You know, they got some contributions. The guy, you know, Cam Johnson, you know, Rookie, he's no longer a rookie. He played well. Bridges played well. Sorry, show he can come off the bench and play well. Yeah, yeah. Y'all got some game from campaign with, which hurt us up in Chicago. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> we like, where was this dude at? Right, he, he had one game, and it was like my man, uh, uh, KC. He uh, Johnson, I think that's who it is. Yeah, yeah. Chicago. He asked him like three things. Cameron Payne got like four questions. Three was from him. You know, so it's like, you know, <laughs> like Chicago got interest now. What, what, what's, what's, what's up with that? But that's my dude out there. But, but it was just kind of crazy how he just, you know, came on the scene. Because they signed him, you know, right before they went, 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 went to the bubble. And, uh, of course, he was in uh, OKC when Monty was there. 
because we was there, so they had obviously a relationship. And uh, he played well. I mean, you know, he basically, you know, he, he kind of locked down that backup point guard role. You know, you got Javon Carter, he's from Chicago. You know, he, he yeah. played well. Uh, you know, he got another Lucas kid, and that kind of got him going. And then he, he started knocking down three, six, eight against Miami. I was sitting there like, what in the world is going on here? So, you know, but then, you know, you look at Aiden. Aiden didn't have overall a good bubble in terms of a full head game, but he showed. Uh, what he's shown his whole his two years, you know, flashes of being something that could be really special. So, and Devin obviously one of the best players in the bubble. So all that played a role and uh, played out. But to be honest with you, I, I don't I don't think the playoffs. I think they. I don't think it, I think it's good that they didn't make. It. Okay. Because I, I think they'll be hungrier to get back. You know, because I think that had they that they got to play in, I think they would have beat Memphis. I think that they would have beat Memphis twice. I know people think of, people look at how Memphis played against Portland, but I think Phoenix, you know, offensively, the way they were flowing, you know, I, I think they would have got Memphis twice, but then they would have played the Lakers. And, yeah, it would have been. Yeah. It, it wouldn't have been good. You know? <laughs> it would have been one of them thud endings. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. we in, but we just got smashed. So I think that the way they ended. You know, and you can, I think you can even tell with the players. I think it was, <laughs> I think it was one of those things where they wanted to get in the playoffs. But I think they were happy the way it ended. You know, I think they were content at that point. Like, you know what, we did so We said we wanted to go 8-0 in the bubble. We did that. We did all we could do. We get in, great. We don't, we don't. I think they left satisfied. But now, because they didn't get in, now it's like, okay, let's, let's, let's get everything. You know, let's let's tighten up some stuff, and uh, you know, let's let's, let's got to make some moves in the off season, and and you know, now we can come back the next year and really make that push for a playoff spot. So I think overall, it worked out for the best because I think they'll be hungry to get back, and if they showed in that in that eight eleven that eight game plus the three exhibition games, that, hey, they they can they can be a really good, a really good team now again. You can't dismiss that 65 when they went 26 and 39. I mean, that, you can't dismiss that. Yeah. But it's current 11. I mean, they they they, they show they that they're capable. Now, question is, can they continue to build off of that? Yeah. Well, they, you know, they still got a lot of developing to do, but went out on a high note at least. And right. yeah. And you mentioned the off season, and I think Phoenix. It seems to me is going to be an interesting spot where. Maybe they may get some play from some free agents and stuff. I don't know how serious it will be, but it would seem that given the young talent y'all got that it would be a place that could be tempting for some guys out there. Or maybe you guys may be in play for some trades or something like that. Do you think that this – what do you think the team should prioritize in regards to – Adding talent or developing the talent that they got. If if you just look at the team, what they got right now, you know, Baines is an unrestricted free agent. I think Baines is gone. Okay, uh, but, I, but but you don't know how much he could. You know, it's like we this free agency this year is going to be crazy. Like you don't know how much money is going to really be available to teams. So I'm just wondering how much can he get out there on the market. 
as opposed to if he stayed, like maybe he signs a one-year deal and tests the market the next year. But then he's going from 33 going on 34, 34 going on 35. Like this is the time if he's going to get something to end his career with, this is the time to do it. So, uh, and he, he played a role for this team. You know, he, he's a big guy that's an enforcer that can, that, that can shoot the three. And so I think that you got to look at what they do with him. But, you know, the key piece is Oubre, Kelly Oubre Jr. I mean, he, he's, a, he's on a two-year deal. Next year will be the second year of his deal. Think, you know, his name was in the trade talk before the trade deadline. So now, you know, if you look at what they did with Bridges and Cam Johnson, you know, he's got to be looking and going, okay, do we have what we need at that position with those two guys? Yeah. And if they feel that way, then they may try to, you know, ship Oubre before the, you know, to get to get something in return because he's going to be an unrestricted free agent after next season. So, do you want to just, you know, bank on the fact that, hey, we may, you know, we may we, we may need to, we may not be able to get, you know, he he might bounce after next season, and you get nothing in return. Or do you try to move him and get something for him before the trade? So it's like they got to – to me, he's the piece. Like if, if they going to keep him, if he's going to be their guy moving forward, then that's going to affect what they do with everybody else, to me. If they just – you know, if they decide to move him, then whatever they get in return is going to you know, impact what they do. I know that, you know, Van Vliet's name is out there because, you know, they were saying that, you know, it's been reported that I'm on vacation. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying to stay out of it. But, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm seeing it, you know, so the phone kind of, so I'm trying to put this away. You know what I mean? Like, I'm trying to, like, yeah. so I don't get distracted, you know, from my lounging. Trying to enjoy yourself, yeah. I'm trying, but it's hard, you know. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, saying that New York, uh, Phoenix, and, can't think of all the other team. Detroit. Okay. Three teams that were interested that 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 will that should be interested in getting him because you're looking at Ruby. You look at Rubio. You know, God bless him. You know, he, he's, <laughs> he's, a, he's a very good player. But you know what I'm saying? It's like you know, he, he can get war now. So it's like he's just the present. He's not the future point guard. So they're looking at Van Fleet and thinking he can be the future point guard. Yeah. So it's like. If you bring him in, then, you know, Van Vliet's sitting in Toronto going, listen, man, I'm, I'm loving it here. So I don't know how you can convince this guy to bounce. But, uh, you know, that would be interesting to see if they did get someone like him because he could be someone they could play, you know, for the next five, seven years. But I always find it interesting, I don't know about you, but, when you have a guy like that that's, that's thriving in like a situation that's really ideal for him, could be. You know, yeah. Play out, you know what I'm saying on a new team. Diminishing returns, yeah. Right, right, right. It's kind of like you know yeah, he, he he looking great here. You think that's going to just translate? He's going to just pick up right where he left off because more will be asked of him in Phoenix than it is in Toronto. So I'm I'm, I'm very, you know, that that always intrigues me when teams look at guys look, look you know, looking at a guy and go, oh, he could be a great fit here. Well, 
you know, because he's playing a certain way there, but just because he plays there that way don't mean he can play this way here. So Uber to me is key, and and you know they got to figure out a way to to put the, the the Cam and Mikhail the way that looks in the bubble. You know, Phoenix got some decisions to make on whether what they're going to do with Uber, and then Aiden is always topic of conversation here. It's like. People, you know, every 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 shot Luca makes, <laughs> they look at that ain't like yo. Yeah, man, yo. Everybody in that draft is getting scrutinized extra hard now because, right, right, right. Like we could have had Luca. <laughs> right, like Sacramento, they look at that team like yo. Who they done had some bad picks, man. Shaking, man, is to get your team in the same position that, that Luca has his team. So, yeah, uh, if he's going to be the second best player on the team, to me, he's the most talented player they got. Oubre is the most explosive. Uh, you know, he's, he's a guy. His upside to me is, I mean, he, he he does things. You know, as Devin would say, only Kelly can do. I mean, he sure. he is a phenomenal athlete. And, uh, you know, that doesn't seem to get tired. Like, he just boop, 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 all night, all night, all day and all night. And so, you know, Aiden is someone that they want to be that that that, that one-two punch with Devin. See, Devin's situation to me, like, that, if anybody in the bubble helped him out tremendously because he went from all this guy can do is score to, okay, he just might be. People got to respect him now. Right, right. You got to respect his game now. Respect. So, you know, Aiden didn't make that transformation. You know, he yeah. went from, you know, okay, this this guy's a young and and, and he, he, he's capable. He shows flashes to, oh man, he missed the COVID test. And, you know what? You know what is this? You know, it's like where where we at with it? So, yeah. uh, you know, I've been fortunate enough to, to get to know him a little bit, and, and I think that his heart is, you know, in a good place, and, and he's a good guy. But you know, when you when you when you come up short on and off the floor, like he did, really to me in the last three games, you know, obviously missing that COVID testing period, and then I don't think he played up to his capabilities. You know, who knows if he'll ever play up to the to what is being asked of him. But then to add the fact that Luca is doing what he's doing isn't helping <laughs> at all. <laughs> I I would love to see uh, to see Aiden unleash himself with y'all out there. But you know, regardless of the pieces that you have, you know, with you know, and y'all got good pieces, like you say, him and Ubre and Bridges and you know, some of these other guys, but it all comes down to Booker. And like you say, Booker reached another level of stardom potentially in the bubble. And I think there's certain things that come with that. Like you, like, uh, you know, you gotta, I, I think about how Draymond got you no know, tampered on national TV, right. mentioning him. Right. 
So I'm like, I, I, I want to get your thoughts on on the rise of Booker and what that could mean. Obviously, you know, I, as a as an observer, I would like to see him stay in Phoenix and build the Suns back up to a championship contender. But I know there's going to be a lot of people hawking them, like like Draymond, you know, like the Warriors, and, and, and other. I'm sure there's a half a half, at least half the league. It, whenever they there's any chance to to get on on Booker, they're going to want to get on them. So, how do you think that the franchise is handling that right now? Well, it's interesting that you know I talked with Devin before. Uh, the end of last season, and because he was about to jump into the, you know, the, the, this kind of extension was about to kick in. Okay. And he was saying how you know one of the things they discussed was that you know him being more involved in in in, in the decision making on who comes in and who doesn't. Sure. He's like saying, you know, I'm not here to, you know, they're not going to, you know, I'm not making the decisions, but, you know, I'm being contacted. It's what, it's what his thought was. Okay, I'm going to be contacted. I'm going to be, they're going to let me know what they're doing, what the plans are and stuff like that. And so, and so then obviously they didn't, they didn't, they didn't pull the trigger on Russell. So then it was, there was Boyd, you know, and so it was like, okay, what, what what is his you know what what, what they doing you know you asked you know Jerry James Jones he's like well you know uh, Devin is still you know basically saying Devin is still the player we made the decisions Devin is still the player yeah but you know we will listen to him but franchises know, win championships right. he has a role we have a role right? yeah okay so now you know you fast forward to now it's like People are looking at him and going like, "Yo, Phoenix, you know, y'all need to do more for this guy." And clearly, he's he's he, he, he's now being considered, you know, even a more a realer deal than he was, you know, before that. To make an All Star team help to help some, but this bubble thing really, you know, raised his NBA profile. And so now, if you're Phoenix, you know, to me, it's like the pressure's on. Okay. You got this player who clearly is shown that he can be, he can be special. Now, what are you going to do? Are you going to, are you going to make some moves to, to get to get even better pieces around him? What are you going to do to help? Because I, I wrote before the bubble that he was in a win-win situation. That if, 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 if well in the bubble, he would get a great deal of the credit, which he did. If they didn't do well in the bubble, they ain't going to blame him because it's like, well, what you got working with this guy? So it's like now because of what he's done with no Uber aid, no Baines, and the way he played, it's like now what are the Suns going to do to help build even a greater situation for him so he can win, you know, win and be in a playoff situation? You, know, you, got, you probably got the right head coach. I think Monty Williams – was the best thing they did last summer. You know, they hired him. You got the right coach. Uh, you got some pieces, but what are you going to do now? They build a new practice facility. They're building that. It's supposed to be done by the end by the end of next month. They're redoing the arena. All these things are being done. So now, the, the, the final step to that is get better players to go 
with Devin Booker. You have good players. You have some that are really good. You have some that can be great. But are you going to leave it there? Are you going to stop there and just say, hey, well, we just going to keep these guys together and we go at another year? Or are you going to be aggressive and say, you know what, we need to get him this and then we get him a power forward that's more athletic. We need to get him another shooter. We need to get, you know, what are you going to do to help him achieve what y'all think y'all should be at, and that's to become the playoff team. So it, it ended great, but the way that Devin came out of it, now it's looking like things has got to do more. Hmm. And, and, and you talk about the spotlight, like Devin, I, I don't know what's going on, but he got to know whoever he is now friends with. Uh, what's her name? Uh, Jenner. Uh, <laughs> hey, yeah, one camera. of the gen- that, that's all you need to know. The gender girls, yeah. Hey, the cameras is following him. I mean, you know, it's like, and, and he, like they taking the pictures and he's looking at he's looking around like, oh, they got you know. Hey, hey, you know, you you become a celebrity now. You know, you two one two, back at it. This is the Running with War podcast, and. We are welcoming another special guest here and our series of interviews with special, uh, you know, uh, experts and specialists, people who cover the uh, NBA teams who have been eliminated, who have already gone through the elimination process in uh, the the NBA and the, and the bubble and everything. And uh, on the line with me now, I have a real cool sister out of D.C. doing her own thing for a minute, you know, blogging, writing, broadcasting, and she's the host of the the Running with Rainbow show. Rolling. Rolling with Rainbow. See, I'm, I'm, I'm confusing you with my show. I got the Running with War, <laughs> and you got Rolling with Rolling with Ramos. It's Miss Mikkel Ramos out of D.C., Chocolate City, repping. And, uh, you know, we're going to get into some other stuff with D.C. A, a major story in D.C. Uh, came down uh, today with the passing of John Thompson. We're going to get into that later. But uh, I want to talk, you know, just first off, get your thoughts on these Wizards. And, um, you know, being a, 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 a sports journalist in D.C., you know, what, what are your thoughts on that team? They, they came into... The bubble, the only Eastern team that wasn't technically in the playoffs at the time of, of the of the of the start of the games, and you know they they didn't equip themselves the best way. You know they didn't they weren't able to get up in that in that top eight. They, and in fact, they kind of fell behind a couple teams for a while. They they even fell behind my Bulls, which I had found it hard to believe. You know, and uh, and as far as the the win loss, you know, because they had played their games and lost, and the Bulls won by not playing. You know, that's that's kind of the best they can do. But uh, though the Wizards, you know, had had a little struggle there, but, you know, but they've had some issues with injuries and stuff like that. You know, if you just want to give your overall thoughts on the team, a, a young team too, uh, by and large. You know, but uh, you want to give your thoughts overall on that team and where they're standing coming out of that bubble experience? What, what, what have, have you observed them coming out of it? I mean, let's be perfectly clear. I think the fact that they even 
Um, I think the questions and the issues that surround the Wizards are the same issues and questions that surrounding the Wizards before the pandemic and prior to this year. Um, John Wall is hurt. Um, he's trying to come back. He's looking good. He's coming, trying to make a comeback. Um, so, and, and, and they paid Bradley, and they paid, paid, paid John Wall a lot of money prior to him touring. So now we have to wait for him to come back and see um, what type of player he's going to be now. He, he, because Terry Kirkini is so easy, man. Um, you got to see how much he can gel back with the team again. You also have Bradley Bill. Bradley Bill had taken over and reigned in part of the team. But you just realize that sometimes in some aspects, the Bradley Bill gets the respect that he deserves. Does he got the respect that he deserves because he's the biggest John Wall team? Can they, can they continue to coexist in that backcourt? But at the same time, the Wizards need some help. The Wizards' cap salary is over the charts. They've given Bradley Bill and John Wall so much money. Stars don't want to come to these teams because the Lord of the championship team is not there. It's not the same team that went to the Eastern Conference, that went to the Eastern Cities with Boston. Um, that's not that same year, a couple of years back in that same momentum. So at this point, the Wizards are looking are looking stacked. It's a wait and see kind of thing. Okay. You mentioned, you know, when I talk to people across the league who observe the league and stuff, you know, Bill is really one of the top guys who is mentioned in regards to, you know, people wanting to see him in another situation. You know, as as a person in DC, what's your take on that? Do you think that is gonna be that it's inevitable that Bill's gonna be traded or you know let go in some way because he's the more affordable half of that pairing with Wall, or or do you think there's some way that they could possibly make it work with Wall coming back? And you know, at one point they were one of the most dangerous backcourts in the NBA, but just they've had such a long time now where they've layoff like where they haven't played with each other. Years you saw Bradley Bill grow up. You saw Bradley Bill maybe in a sense experience some of the things that John Wall was going through as the main point of the team. Um, he had to carry a lot of weight for the Wizards. Um, because let's be real, prior to that, he was injury prone. You never know he could play um, 70, 80 games, how long that he would actually last on the court. It sure. just like the hands of time would, would mess up for them both. When, Brad, when John Wall was healthy, Bradley Bill never was. Um, in the last couple of years, we've seen a healthy Bradley Bill. Um, let's be real, J.R. Smith is a Laker now. That could have been talk, That could have been um, Bradley Bill talk uh, within the last year or so that the Lakers were interested in Bradley Bill. Bradley Bill comes out and says that his, his heart and his, and his um, loyalty is to the Wizards. A lot of people didn't really agree with that. Some agreed with something. But um, I think he wants to remain a wizard. I think he's proven himself a wizard. Um, um, and I think that this is where he wants to be. I think if he can see this way, and they can find a way to shift some things around and really get some money generated, the front office has been very horrible in taking care of, of the money aspect. He's going to pay John Walker to make a million before. Now he's carrying his he's guaranteed that. So um, they can 
and making a team that can be conducive to these guys is going to be very difficult. Um, but um, hopefully there's a way. But um, Bradley Bill definitely is in the top um, guards. I think we should be able. I think we should be able to respect he deserves all the numbers that he put up. And he was not an All Star. That's preposterous. But I also understand that being an All Star on being an All Star is a privilege. And how can you get that privilege when your team does not produce wins as everybody wants you to? I understand that aspect as well. But Bradley Bill is to be respected. He's come a very long way. And one of the most improved players. It's great to see you healthy. Okay. Yeah, it seems you guys kind of. I, I would like to see you guys have that backcourt be in full. And and I didn't even. I you you made me remember the fact too that Bill was. You know, you you guys kind of really have never seen them at their maximum because Bill was pretty injury prone. Yeah. Before, before when Wall was healthy. So, if if there's any way that 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 duo can get together in a real way, you know, you guys can be definitely be contenders again. Just look at how with depleted you guys were this year, and you guys were still just on the edge of making the playoffs. You know, and you know, with that said, what what, what are your thoughts on some of the other talent that's on the team? I know. There's some people like Thomas Bryant, who people mention, and you know, you guys have had some, you know, kind of routinely have some lottery picks. You know, the most recent one was Hachimura out of Gonzaga. You know, are any of those guys being looked at as as promising, real promising guys who who you can build off of to make this team a, a winner again? I think Moore is very promising. We don't want to look at the Wizards as a young team because you want to look at them as something where stars, I mean, with more Marquis Morris was there, Paul yeah. Pierce was there. This is a team that can have legitimate factors there. And um, I understand that you, know, you want to try to get into the lottery and the I mean, in, in the lottery and, and, and acquiring these young boys. But I think the heart of the Wizards is going to be within the agency and whether or not they can acquire some talent that's already in the league. How can we make people see alluring enough to where people will want to come here to try to attempt to win a championship again? You know? And that that's going to be the Achilles heel for the Washington Wizards. I mean, the ladies have already proven that the Elena Deladon trade was huge. Look what that was able to do and look what that brought to the East the first franchise, first championship. The Wizards need to show that they, I mean, I was very disappointed in the giving away of Kelly Oubre. I thought that I did not agree with that because I don't know how you get rid of somebody that can come off the bench and be your second tier. But if Kelly was young in his own right, I mean, for me, even after your meeting, but at the same time, I did, I did not agree with that one. That was a, I felt that that was a very difficult key, key piece. But the key to the Wizards' success and what they will have in the future because I mean, John, I mean, the rumblings of John Walking gone. He's still produced on the team. It's whether or not they can make it alluring enough to where stars or, or, or timely veterans will want to come to be. Yeah. That's a tough situation. That's a, definitely a tough situation to be in. And I can identify with that 
you know, following the Bulls because we've had that same. Mm -hmm. Wasn't that nostalgic? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's 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 difficult, you know. You gotta you gotta make yourself you, like you say. You if you want to play big in the NBA nowadays, you gotta be able to draw those big names, or you, you know got to have you got to be on tight with every draft and every free agency and try to get those players off of the discount who can impact. You know, but uh, you can't play you can't play small potatoes in the league nowadays, basically. So you know, we'll see how that goes with with y'all. But a lot, a lot, a large part of drawing team drawing big name players, you gotta you gotta say that's the front office and the coaching. You know, players respond to who's in those positions, who's the GM, the vice presidents of you know of basketball and all that. And you know, here in Chicago, we we're undergoing a big reconstruction of as far as that goes. You know, we're getting some good uh, reviews so far of of our new general manager and uh, you know uh, and and vice president and all, and looking for a coach now. Scott Brooks has gotten, you know, he, he's gotten the the sign. You know, he he's not he's not on the hot seat as it were. It seems at least reportedly. In DC, do you think that should be the case or not? I think Scott Brooks has done a great job because at one point, we talked about Bradley Hill and John Wall. We didn't even know if they liked each other. There was reports mm -hmm. they were getting into it that they had issues with each other. But at the same time, and he was able to come in at that time and turn the team around. But at the same time, we okay. a team like Golden State, Mark Jackson laid down the foundation of the I think we are looking for a coach to take us to take um, DC to the next level. I think Scott Brooks is a great coach. We also know that Scott Brooks is a is a coach of stars and a leader of stars. I mean, look what he did with Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. But sometimes it appears that if he can, he's coaching them, but where's the rest of the team? And um, when it comes and we get into this heroistic type of basketball, what we need to do is um. I don't think he's on the hot seat. I think depending on what they do this year, he may be. But I think that what, what, what needs to be done is a coach, if we find one, if there is change, a coach that can make an all-around team effort. What, what do we know? Every team has something you at least know them for. Uh, we don't want to be involved in a process that's lasting as long as Philly. But yeah. <laughs> something that will need to sustain a team ball team effort and i think that in certain aspects of the game you can see that scott brooks did out pick out coach a little bit and you can see that there's a dissect between the rest of the guys watching bradley bill and everything and john wall's good thing and the incorporation of that into more of a team ball aspect so we'll see what happens with what they can conjure up together because it's, it's also been a long time since he's been together with the, with the two. So, sure. with that also, a research is back as well. So, yeah, that's some good insight. I never really thought about the effect he may have had on on that partnership between Bill and Wall, and you know, or him not having the time, like you say, to develop that with them as well. I think a lot of people look at Brooks. You know, I've, I've had uh, 
some colleagues I've talked to who just really are not big on him at all. You know, largely because he's not like a big X's and O's guy. He's not a guy who can strategize your way into a win for the most part. But he, he uh, I agree with you. He is sort of like a, a stars coach, a players coach in that way. But I, I but definitely you, you know, you guys got to have like more of a, a entire team philosophy and entire team chemistry that that gets built. Because that's, you know, when you look at the, the great teams out there, you know, throughout the years, San Antonio, uh, you know, uh, Golden State o- over their dynasty, you know, they've had sort of clear philosophies. Like a Toronto, you can look at a team like that today. They, they have a clear philosophy about the way they play. And even though they don't have a lot of big stars, they really execute their game plans the way that they want to. And they force teams into uh, playing the way that they don't want to, force opponents like that. But um, yeah, let's uh, let's go right quick before we talk about Coach Thompson. Uh, I want uh, I want to get your thoughts a little bit on the Mystics, you know, because you brought them up, and you know, the Mystics, uh, a defending champion in the WNBA, it doesn't look that good for them this year on defending that title, but they, you know. Big big losses coming into the bubble, uh, starting with Elena Deladon not being there. So I just you know if you want to give your thoughts on how they've done and have they surprised you in any way or disappointed you or or was it just somewhere, you know, just what to be expected from them giving what they came into the bubble with? I mean, they didn't. I mean, everybody was hopeful, but at the same time, it came to the bubble not with. How can you defend the title without the people that you need to defend the title So, um, yeah. But at the end of the day, when it comes to the Mystics, once we get out of this bubble, once things transpire and get better, I mean, there will be a new WNBA champion. And um, you would have liked to see them in the top echelon competing against the Phoenix Mercury, the Seattle Storm, and these young teams like the Connecticut. It's okay because they've done their job. Sure. They've given the DC something that they've never seen before, and that's a championship winning women's basketball professional team. And um, am I saying that they won't get there again? No. I think that the it's I think this year in general for humanity has been a matter of circumstance. So um I, I think they I think timing of trying to defend your championship with the pandemic and social reform and everything that's going on. I don't think it works in the business favor, but am I going to count them out for another chance? No. But they've done absolutely nothing at all. I mean, they were the team in D.C. for the last couple of years. And I ain't come up whatever you want to call them, the skins, the tails, the, the, the watches, whatever they are. <laughs> D.C. was the late. The kings of the city were the late. So, um, shout out. That's what's up. That's what's up. And we, when you talk about ladies taking charge and, you know, really representing, you look at the WNBA overall and, you know, the way that they've led in, in social justice issues and uh, presenting a united front, you know, they got to show that again this past week 
by uh, joining the work stoppage and everything. And, you know, it was it was initially brought on in the NBA, but, you know, I, I try in my coverage to always give the props to the WNBA because they forefronted a lot of the the public uh, speaking of and, and denouncing of racism and police violence and all these type of things that we're seeing in society that we're trying to fight off. So, you know, it, it, I just, you know, if you want to give your thoughts on that and in particular with this past week, you know, what was your take on the the events as they happened, the, the, the striking and, you know, the, the statements that were made uh, throughout both leagues? I think it was direct action. I think that um, I made a statement when the guys were coming back about what was the bribe. A lot of people didn't like me making that statement. And, um, and, it only, and it came from other people trying to ascertain why one or two games was the only thing that they didn't play, you know, playing on both ends. Sure. Um, and that's what I was elaborating on because someone asked me what was the conversation to, from, from the league to the guys to make them come back so quickly. Um, when you talk about social reform, especially when you talk about social reform on a platform, what ends up happening is a lot of people then want to assess how much you've done without your platform, without a platform that's as high. I think what I think what's happening is that what prior to the book, everybody was talking about Kyrie's comments and that they should be going, they should be playing outside of the risk of the, the, the um, coronavirus. Issue. I mean, the bubble has definitely surpassed any contradiction as far as keeping these athletes safe and keeping an environment that is as that wish to entertain. But the issue was, could they entertain us while still making a statement? Um, I think a lot of people want a lot more because when you look at the forefathers of sports, Muhammad Ali says he's not going to participate before, and he did not know if he was going to even get back when he got back, it's a risk. Um, but I also think we live in a country that is still trying to figure out when it comes to social justice and when it comes to social reform and speaking on it, your personal impact on it, what is too left and what is too poor. And it gets even bigger when we're talking about the parameters of having a platform. What is too much and what is too left? Is it enough? But I think what their action was, their action was directed to the point um i'm not going even as far as the bribe what's the point of us to, let's talk not to continue talking about it let's be about something i'm not entertaining nothing or not being your personal entertainment you're not going to sit there with but then it, here goes the rumblings again of shut up and rumble and we just want to play basketball i think we've gotten to a very important part of this country but the what is going on is the continuing of conversation. And I think whether or not you join the movement or not, just as long as you're speaking, you can do it in your own specific way. Just as long as you're speaking enlightenment, you don't have to always give money, you don't always have to be on the front line. But as long as you're continuing the conversation to want to be better and to want to produce better. Um, someone asked me the other day, um, do you think that things are going to really change in social I think that uh, it's an unfortunate time to be a part of it, but it, because of the pandemic, what the pandemic gave us was the time to actually participate. Because now we become human beings just instead of just doing, 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 doing all the time. And, um, you know, 
in any event, there's been statues of that have been torn down that and, and laws that have been in place for 60 years that are now being evaluated. Um, do I think change is possible? My answer to that was, you know, my grandmother has dementia, and unfortunately, and um, I love her to death. She's 86. Mm. I don't remember. I don't remember the last time I heard her say my name. I don't remember the last time I phone and calling her. She was probably sitting up to have a conversation with me back, back, back and forth to where we, it was recollected. But I remember the last deep conversation we had, the last conversation where I felt like we felt each other was when Obama won. My 86-year-old grandmother said she never thought she'd see the day. But that being said, changes can be inevitable. Believe it enough, right? Definitely, definitely. That's that's well, very well said.